Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the resurrected king. And Father, for those of us who are tired, or maybe we're just feeling spiritually dead, Lord, we we thank you that you have the power to resurrect our souls this morning. And Father, will you do so? Father, may you open our ears, open our hearts, Father, to what you would want us to hear today. Father, may we leave encouraged that we have felt your presence here this morning. And Lord, may you speak through me. Father, may you give me your words. May you give me your strength to deliver your word this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. And just in case you wanted to know what the mission shirts look like, I'm wearing one right now. And it just so happens to be Dodger colors. I didn't plan this. When we ordered them, we had no idea that they would uh, be in the World Series. But, uh, yeah, they feel really nice. So, you know, when Marco says dry fit, they feel really good. And I'm happy because I could wear a T-shirt and preach. You know, there are several times that I get really happy. There's one when they unblock the movie channels, um, and I could watch movies for a weekend, and I'm just up all night just watching all of them. And the other time is when I get to wear a T-shirt and preach on Sunday. I mean, the only thing better is when we have um, church in the park and I get to preach in shorts. You know, but this is a very special day because I love wearing uh, T-shirts. You know, when I was at Continental, I had a friend named Susan. And uh, she was one of the agents that uh, worked uh, for me. And she was witty. And she was funny. And she was the type of person that when something happened, she could just come up with something just like that. And then... You know, I was just amazed by that. Because whenever something happened, I'd have to think, think, okay, how can I come, what would be a good comeback? And by the time I would think about it, the moment's gone. But not only was, um, you know, she funny, witting, and caring, she was a generous person. And then, um, you know, I told her I was going into the ministry, and she thought, well, you know, why are you doing that? You know, I don't, they don't pay pastors a whole lot. But, you know, she was a generous person. And so um, I, th- I don't know if I was her project or not, or if I was her, her you know, good deed. It's her, her chance to do good deeds. But, you know, she was very wealthy. She was very wealthy. Um, Leonard Nimoy was her neighbor. And, you know, one of the I enjoyed hanging out with her because of, you know, our company. And we just have fun. But also... It was kind of fun hanging out with a wealthy person because she would take me to lunch and she we go to the, all of these places and she said, Dave, what do you want to drink? And I said, oh, it's okay. I'll just get a glass of water. So she asked the waiter to come and bring a bottle of water. And I look at it. This is $20 for a bottle of water. You know, and I'm looking at this menu and everything's market price, market price, market price. I go, oh my goodness. I said, hey, I can't afford this. And she goes, I know. <laughs> my treat. And so I would just be amazed at her stories when um, she would tell me that, you know, when she would go to Hawaii, she would take a private jet. And um, a lot of times she would be going with movie stars, you know, like Billy Crystal and all of this. And you'd go, wow. I'd go to her house. I love going to her house to see what new gadgets she had. And one of the gadgets was she wanted to show me her uh, renovated bathroom. And there was this huge jacuzzi tub. 
And I go, this is cool. But what was even better was there was this huge flat screen TV right there. I said, so you could sit in your jacuzzi tub and watch a Laker game. Now, you got to remember, this is before flat screen TVs came out. This is what's cutting. There was no such thing as flat screen TV. So I'd always ask her, hey, whenever you go on your trips, can I house sit for you? And I love to house sit for you. But I remember, you know, she would take me around and we'd be you know, kind of like driving through Bel Air. And, you know, I'm just amazed at all of these big houses knowing that, okay, Lord, you know, great. You know, I'm going to have a mansion in heaven and I have to convince myself that whatever mansion I have in heaven is better than anything in Bel Air. And it's going to be a slum compared to what I'm going to get in heaven. But I said, wow, man, look at all of these. I said, what do these people do to afford homes like this? And she would tell me, and she would say, you know, Dave, you know, on the outside, these houses look good. But she said, you don't know the pain. You don't know the unhappiness. You don't know the suffering that's going on in these houses beyond the front door. MasterCard came up with a slogan. There are some things that money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. There are some things that money can't buy. You know, money can't buy happiness. And that was a stark um, reality that she shared with me as we drove through her neighborhood. Um, but also, you know what the number one stress stressor in marriage is? It's finances. It's finances. The number one issue that causes fights among married couples is finances. So if you are sitting here and you are married today, that's probably um, the biggest source of your arguments. And even though you're arguing about something else, this might be at the source of it. And all of these other symptoms are just popping out from that. And the reason it's such a stressor is because we have different values attached to money, right? We have different Spending habits. Some people are savers. Some people are spenders. You know, some people, they argue over how do we spend our money on our kids, right? It's like, you know what? So-and-so doesn't need Call of Duty World War II that's coming out on November 11th, you know? And the other one might say, yes, they do. Yes, they do. It teaches them how to have faster reflexes. You know, and things like that. You know, but who knows? But don't we argue about things like that and, you know, gifts we give our kids. And so it's a constant source of tension. But statistically speaking, remember I was sharing all along that we here in America are probably one of the wealthiest people in this world. But there are side effects that come with um, wealth. And the first one is denial. Denial. That we read statistics that say that we are in the top maybe 4 to 1% of the wage earners in this world, but we don't feel rich. So we say, no, rich is somebody else. Rich is somebody that makes more than me. And then we also said one of the side effects is, you know, more is never enough. More is never enough. Meaning the more you have, the more you want. And we all know that, right? Just look at all of the things that you bought that you were so happy that you said, if I could only have this, I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life. You know, and if you had kids, you know, that's a big thing, right? 
Daddy, if you could get me this, I promise, I promise, I'm never going to ask you for anything else again. Okay, yeah, you heard that one, right? You get up to them, and what? Two weeks later, they're not even using it, right? It's never enough. But also the most dangerous side effect that wealthy people experience is that we tend to shift our hope from God to our wealth. Remember we talked about that. We talked about that. The wealthier we are, what happens is we tend to place our security, our hope, our protection, and safety on wealth. And somehow, unconsciously, we know we're supposed to put our hope in God, right? But then all of a sudden, it shifts over to um, our, our finances. And so the question is, how can we use wealth, our wealth? To give us joy and contentment. And part of it is we're going through Anthony Standy's How to Be Rich. And he said the problem most wealthy believers have is that, yes, we are wealthy, but no one ever taught us how to be rich. No one taught us how to be rich. And that's been the theme of this. And we're going to conclude our um, uh, series in this um, today, And this is why when you talk about financial peace, it's so important that you get a handle of, on your finances at a young age. And the whole purpose of financial peace isn't so you can make more money. The whole purpose is how could you steward your money and so you could have enough so you could what? Give to others. That you could give to the work of God, not so you could accumulate. So if you are under 25 years free, any of you under 25, under 25, under 25, and you commit to go to all the sessions, or the majority of the sessions, I'll find a way for you to get the money to go. Because it's this important. If you are, if you're under 25. Because if I was, if I knew these things about handling money, when I was younger, it would have just saved me from a lot of pain. I could have done so much more for the kingdom of God. Rather, but when I was 25, I thought, hey, this money is mine. I earned it. And what did I do? I spent it all on myself. And through, you know, the series of working in my career and moving up and getting more and more money, it was never enough. So once again, if you're under 25, you need to get a good have a good handle on how to use your finances. And if you, if you could commit to going to these, the majority of the sessions, I will find the money for you to go. It's that important. But why don't we take a look at the passages that we are looking at. And so if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. And we're going to, it, it's up here right now. And this is what Paul is commanding Timothy. Once again, it's not, he's not saying, you know, I suggest you tell the wealthy people this. He goes, no, Timothy, I command you to tell those who are rich this. It says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now that's kind of an odd phrase, right? In this, pre- oh, if you could go back to the uh, other, in this present world. Because when you actually sit there and read that, I know a lot of us skimmed by that, those two words. Present world. And if you read that, you go, well, what other world is there? You know, what other world is there than the present world? I mean, he could have just said, command those who are rich in this world. And that would be enough. But he says, command 
those who are rich in this present world. So is he alluding that there is something beyond this world? That he's telling the wealthy people that there is something beyond this world. Let's go to the next passage. And he says, command those who are rich, which is us, uh, in this present world not to be arrogant because wealth has a tendency to do that. You know, we may not go and say that we're better than you, but wealth has a a way of making us arrogant that we think we're better than so-and-so because we have a better job, we we have nicer clothes, we live in a, a nicer neighborhood. But he says, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Because wealth is uncertain. It's here today, and it could be gone uh, tomorrow. But he says, put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Okay? And so, basically what Paul is saying here is, he's warning us. He says, put our hope in God. Because he knows that the wealthier you get, your, your hope, your trust... Where you put your faith is going to shift from God to your wealth. But he, but also, um, he says, he's not trying to put them on a guilt trip because he says, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. For our enjoyment. So there's nothing wrong with having things. Because once again, Paul is telling here, God provides us everything for our enjoyment. But what he's saying is don't place your hope in things. Don't place your hope in the provisions. Don't place your trust in them. Don't place your security in them. Then also he goes on. He says, command them to what? The wealthy people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be willing to share. So once again, God provides everything for enjoyment. And what Paul is instructing Timothy to do is just tell the wealthy people that even though God gives us all things for enjoyment, remember to do your, use your wealth to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be willing to share. That the things, the provisions that God has given you, that God has given me, were not for our own consumption. Okay? Part of it is, but also, we are supposed to use our wealth to do these things. And then let's go on to First Timothy 6.19. And he says, um, in this, he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And then he stops and says, well, he transitions and says, in this way. In this way. You go, what way? What's the way he's talking about? He's saying that if you use, if you place your hope in God, if you do good, if you are rich in good deeds, if you're generous and you're willing to share, then what follows will result. And why don't we go to this? It says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. They will lay up treasure for themselves. Now this is counterintuitive because he's already talking those who are wealthy. So why is he saying that they will lay up treasure for themselves? Because they are already rich. Why do they not, why do they need more? And then it's also counterintuitive that, you know, it's not like we're investing in the stock market. We're not investing in financial institutions, right? And so what do you think? So how does that, what are you talking about? If I give money away, we're going to lay up treasures 
for ourselves. It doesn't, you know, make sense. But then he goes on. He says, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the, what is that? Coming age. For the coming age. Remember he started out in verse 17 by saying, command those who are rich in what? This present world. And then he ends it with, by saying that in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So is it possible that there is a correlation between how we use our wealth in this present world to how it will affect us and how we will experience the coming age? You know, when I was maturing in our faith, you know, I gave because, um, you know, I saw that there were needs out there. I, I saw that the, you know, church had needs. I saw that, you know, certain organizations had needs. And so I gave to those. You know, I gave them sporadically. And, you know, if it would touch my heart at the time, if there was emotional response, I would give. But I would also know that you know, there were people that who had needs. You know, and as they tell me the story, I would be moved to give to them. Once again, an emotional response. However, and I would do that. But what really revolutionized my way of giving, my way of helping others, my way of tithing to the church, was totally changed and transformed by what you're gonna, what we're gonna talk about next. So it really revolutionized the way I handled money. And when I got this, when I got this, money was no longer um, a chore to give. Because there's always that balance, right? Because I was never wealthy enough to have my cake and eat it too. And so if I wanted to give, whether it was to a church, to a missionary, to a person with need, something had to give. And so I knew that I would give, but then it would be a little painful because I knew that if I gave, then I wouldn't be able to have this, right? Now, I wasn't spiritually enough, spiritually mature enough to know that, hey, what I was giving up was really temporary anyway. But when I got this principle, when I understood this, you know, giving became a joy. Helping others became a joy. And it's almost like, how can I do more? How can I do more? Rather than, you know, going someplace to a church and when the offering comes by, I am open my wallet and I go, oh, I've got like a $20 bill and a $1 bill. Okay, I'll, I'll give a $1 bill. <laughs> you know, you know, now it's like, oh, well, you know, I got a, a $20 bill. I'm going to give them a $20 bill. I just don't go to churches, visit churches when I have a $100 bill. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But anyway, so, um, okay, now you guys finally got that one. But, you know, I really need you to pay attention to this. Because I think this will really transform how you view your, your, your wealth. And it will really give you joy. And so, let's go to a parable that Jesus tells. And if, your Bibles, if you could turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to start with verse 16. And, um, you know, it starts out because this one person goes up to Jesus and he tells, Jesus, tell this one person to give me my share of my inheritance. Right? And so his brother, 
And I guess that they were arguing over the inheritance. And I don't know the situation behind the legality of, legality of it. But this one brother comes and he tells Jesus, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. So Jesus sensed, you know, greed behind this um, person request. And so he tells him this parable and he says, and he told them this parable. Now, for those of you who may not um, be a disciple of Jesus Christ or you're new to the church, a parable is just a made-up story. Okay, this is a story that Jesus makes up in order to illustrate a point. And he said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now you have to realize back in those days they didn't have banks, they didn't have financial institutions. So wealth really was tied to the land. The wealthy people were land owners. They weren't ones that had a great stock part portfolio and all of that because banks didn't exist back then. Financial institutions didn't exist. So all a person's wealth was in the land. So here we have a wealthy person who just got wealthier. And when you look at the parable, and when Jesus tells parables, the characters are usually God. Okay, God's in there. And the other characters in the story are usually the people that he's talking to, who he's telling the story to. And so in this case, you have God, and then the people that, that rich man is us. Okay, so um, place yourself in the rich man's shoes. Okay, so he starts off and tells us that there's a rich person that just got richer. Then in verse 17, he goes, hey, he thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And so here's a wealthy person. He just becomes wealthier. His crops are doing well. And he doesn't know what to do with his wealth. You know, so obviously the first thing in his mind isn't, hey, I could give it away. No, it's, how could I keep this? And he comes with an ingenious plan, public storage, right? Whatever I have, my house, there's not enough closet space to hold all of the things, to hold all of my wealth. So I need to go to public storage and I need to get more space. And that's what he did, right? That's what he did. Is he had too much for him to store in his barns. So he t- tore them down to build bigger ones. Now how many of us could relate to that? This is a rhetorical question. How many of us have ever bought or rented, you know, public storage? You know, I had, you know, and I got married, right? You know, we uh, moved into my wife's townhome. And I was, you know, pretty, I was 36, so I had a lot of things. And we had duplicate everything. Duplicate refrigerators, duplicate washer, duplicate dryer, duplicate beds. Everything you could name, we had two of. Um, and so we had to go to public storage, right? And so I get public storage, and I can't remember how much I was paying, maybe about $150 a month to keep my stuff. And then so we, we moved into a house, and it wasn't that, uh, the house that we bought wasn't that big. It was really only about the same size as our townhome, right? So we didn't gain that much square footage. So I said, okay, so let's go 
to the public storage. So I got, you know, Nelson Liu, he's not here. He went with me and another person, other people came. And we went to the public storage. We got a truck. And then we went from public storage straight to the dump. And we just took all that stuff and threw it in the dump. Why? I hadn't used it in five years. I didn't need it. Half The majority of the stuff I had in public storage, I didn't even know I had in public storage. Okay, now the refrigerator and the washer and dryer we gave to people, right? But everything else I just threw away. Why? Because I was still kind of thinking, well, this is kind of like my stuff, my stuff, right? I was like this rich landowner. I was just like this rich landowner. It says, I will store my excess so I can consume it later. Isn't that what's behind a lot of us when we have all this stuff? I want to store it so I could use it later. And the problem is I found out I never used it. You know, I just paid $150 a month to hold my junk that eventually I was going to throw away. And I actually had a friend who owned uh, a public storage. He goes, hey, Pastor Dave, I'm getting wealthy on people's junk. And I said, well, God bless you. I'm one of the ones that you're helping you get wealthy. But then he goes on um, and he says, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Once again, how much does this sound like us? Well, it's like, if I have enough, I'm going to accumulate enough stuff so I could accumulate it later, so I don't have to worry, so I could be safe, my family could be safe, and I could eat, drink, and be merry. You know? Isn't that behind a lot of, you know, what we, how we view our excess? Right? And if the parable, if the parable just ended here, this would have been a great story on savings. Then you say, look at man, this guy uh, worked hard and he was wealthy. God blessed him and he saved what he had. You know, I want my kids to be just like this guy. I want them to know the uh, strength and the benefits of savings. And, you know, the readers back then would say, wow, what a great guy. Because in their mind, their mind, their circumstances were tied to their relationship with God or to the favor they found in God. And so um, here's a wealthy man who they say he must be doing something right in the sight of God because God's blessing him. But not only that, he's blessing them with even more than he needs. And this guy's an ingenious guy. He's storing his stuff. You know, so the people would have looked at him and said, wow, you know, God must be really blessing them. And there's nothing wrong with saving because in the Old Testament, you know, Jesus, there's a lot about saving. But then he goes on and he says, but God said to him, you fool, you fool. And his listeners would say, what are you talking about? This is a smart guy. Why are you calling him? A fool. It says, but God said, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Jesus was saying, even though he made up the story, this man was thinking, wait a second, I can't die now. 
I've got too much things stored up. This is why I stored up all of this wealth to be used in the future. I can't die now. And isn't there a correlation between wealth and long life? Meaning, I have enough money to have the best life insurance, health insurance. You know, I've had enough money to protect me from dangers. But what Jesus is saying, or God is saying here, is that this one person, and sometimes we do this, we live under the false assumption that all that we have is for our personal consumption. We assume that. That everything that we have, that everything God has given us, we assume that that's for our personal consumption. But he says, you, but God says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who's going to get what you prepared for yourself? Obviously not him. He's dead, right? And the Bible is clear on this. And this is a principle that we all have to get. Is we do not get credit for what we accumulate. We, God does not give us credit for what we accumulate. We only get credit for what we give. God only gives us credit for what we give. And why is that? Well, when we all die, every single one of us, we leave the same amount. And what's that? Nothing or everything. Right? It's like I said, you never see a U-Haul following a hearst. Right? At a funeral possession. You don't. All of you here, when we die, we all leave the same amount. Everything. So we're not going to get credit for that. We only get credit for what we give. And then he goes on. He goes, this is how it will be for whoever stores up for stores things up for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And he says, if we are not rich towards God, if we view that everything God gives us is just for us, then everything is a total loss. We lost an opportunity to do something important with what he's given us here on this life. So how could we be rich towards God? He says, Luke twelve thirty three. it says, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near or no moth destroys. Now, he's not saying don't sell all your possessions. But he said, for those of us who have excess, excess, use your excess to help others. You know, use your extra possessions to invest in eternal rewards. And you may say, well, you're only giving to get eternal rewards. Hey, but I'm not saying this. Jesus is the one who is saying this, right? And God is a God who loves to reward his children. I mean, you know, Phil, Pastor Phil was saying that we came um, back from a conference and, you know, I happened to, you know, drive with Kiki and this, and we went to, we were in San Clemente, but going down there, there's a famous place that I, uh, a taco place that I, Grace and I like to go to. It's Baja uh, Fish Tacos. It's right there off Lake Forest, right? And so as we were coming b- back, you know, I said, you know, I ordered, you know, Grace's favorite meal there. And as we were leaving, I was telling Kiki, hey, this is what's so fun about being married. 
that I get to go home. I didn't even tell Grace I was there. And I'm going to surprise her with these two fish tacos and this white rice, which, oh, it's just butter and salt. It is so good. All right. And so I go home and she's sleeping. And number one, I'm kind of bummed out because she's a na- taking a nap. Right. And I'm thinking, should I wake her or should I not? You know, men, y'all know that dilemma, right? Yeah. And so I said, oh, I'm too happy. I'm going to go wake her up. I don't care what the consequences are. You know, she can be mad at me. Then I'm going to just eat them myself. You know, <laughs> but I go, honey, I'm home. And, she, you know, she, the dog was there. The dog was happier to see me, you know, and she goes, oh, OK, that's good. And then I said, guess where I had lunch? Baja Fritz Tacos, and guess what I bought you? And all of a sudden, her eyes open up, and she's all happy. Right? She wasn't happy to you know, see me. She was happy that I bought her these Baja Fritz Tacos, right? But it was so fun for me to do that, because I know that that would make her happy. But God is like that. God loves to reward us, so invest. So then how do we invest in um Heavenly treasures. There you go. You know, outside there. You know, but he goes on to say, he says, for your treasure is, there's your heart. There's your heart. And so God gets it that whatever our, our, um, we place our treasure, our heart's there. You know, is our heart with God? Things of God? Or the, is our heart based upon chasing the material things? And so he knows you'll never be happy. I don't care how much you have. You'll never be happy if you just hold on tightly to your wealth. Or if your wealth has a tight grip on you, you will never be happy. You want to be happy? I think all of us want to be happy. All of us want to be content. You have to give it away. The only way for you to be happy is to give it away. And we talked about being a 3P giver, right? Priority is you got to make giving, whether it's to the church, a missions organization, a nonprofit organization, a missionary, a friend in need. you got to make that a priority, you got to say, I'm going to do this. Then you got to do percentage giving. It can't be emotional because we Americans are emotional givers. So we give here and there. And we don't realize it till we get all of these giving statements from all of these charities that we donated. It's like, oh, I didn't give as much as we thought. But when you give a percentage, because remember we said that Jesus isn't thrilled. Jesus isn't um, not thrilled. Jesus is impressed by num- zeros after a number. He's impressed by percentage. And this is the, this, what it does is this is the ultimate equalizer. It doesn't matter how much you make. It matters how much percent that you give. So a wealthy person, a person that's not wealthy, gives the same percentage. And finally, progressive is, you know what? Give more. Give more. If I'm giving this much now, you know what? I'll give a little bit more next year, next time. And then finally, we're going to include with this. And let's go back to First uh, Timothy six nineteen. It says, In this they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Why? So they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you want to experience life that's a truly life when it comes to your finances, you've got to practice giving you got to release your grip on your wealth. You know, parents, if you want your kids to um, experience contentment and joy with what they have, you got to teach them this. you got to model this to them. 
Because if all we model as parents is, hey, I'm going to give them stuff, I'm going to give them stuff, give them stuff. We're just reinforcing that all of the stuff we give them is what? It doesn't make them happy. And all it does is it increases their appetite for more. Rather than teaching them biblical stewardship. To say, if you really want to be content with what you have. If you really want to be happy. If you really want to have joy, which I think all of us parents want our kids to experience, we would teach them how to invest in heavenly treasures. So this is a weekly challenge for you. What I'd like you to do this week is read First Timothy six seventeen through nineteen, Luke twelve nineteen through twenty one, and Luke twelve thirty three through thirty four. And as you read those, especially in the parables, see, how, you know, what kind of comparisons are there between you and the, that rich man in the parable? And then what I'd like you to do is reflect upon what you treasure. Does it reflect a heart bent towards God or worldly possessions? Finally, what is one action step that you can take in order to consistently store up treasures in heaven? Because I want all of us to be able to store up treasures in heaven. I don't want any one of us to stand before Jesus and then all of a sudden experience total loss. To say, man, if I just had given more of what I had, if I just understood that what God has given me, it wasn't for my own personal consumption, but it was to help others. You know, I don't want any of us to stand in front of Jesus and just be at loss for words on how we stewarded our finances. So let's pray.